Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series right now called Dinner with Jesus. We're looking at how Jesus used tables to change the world. You know, it seems like Jesus did most of his ministry around a table. Why? Because tables are places of welcome, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was proclaiming the welcome of God. At Table Church, we're all about living that out. So join us as we look at some of the meals that Jesus ate with people and as we learn how those encounters continue to transform people today. And if you need anything at all, be sure to reach out to us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. God bless, and thanks for listening. Luke 5, 27-32 After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Once again, good morning, everybody, and thank you for coming to Table Church today. It's wonderful to have you. We start a new series today. We just finished a sermon series on prayer, and now we're kicking off a new series. It's called Dinner with Jesus. We're going to be looking at the meals that Jesus ate in the Gospels, and we're going to learn how Jesus used tables to change the world. And so I'm excited for this because we're going to claim our name here in this series. We're going to reclaim what it means for us to be Table Church and to understand the power and the depth that is involved in our name Table Church. People often look at me funny when I say the name of our church. Table Church? Is is there a chair church somewhere? Like, what what is this? No, tables. Jesus did most of his ministry around a table. The table next to the cross might be the most salient Christian symbol we have. Tables are crucial for our faith and for who we are and for what we do and for how we understand the world and how we, and how we view God. And so this is a really important series for us and I hope that we learn a lot and I hope we get back to our roots as Table Church and remember what it is that God has called us to uniquely. There is an ancient Hebrew book in the Apocrypha called the Book of Sirach. It's a good name for your for a dog or something, Sirach. Now this book has a section that outlines who you should eat with. It says this, do not invite anyone into your home, or sorry, do not invite everyone into your home, for many are the tricks of the crafty. Receive strangers into your home and they will stir up trouble for you. Instead of strangers, Sirach suggests this, that you Quote, let the righteous be your dinner companions. Now, you and I have the advantage of having kind of 2,000 years of Jesus' teachings reverberating throughout our culture. And so you and I can hear Sirach's advice and think, I bet Jesus didn't do that. Not to mention the fact you just heard the story of Levi, who was anything but righteous. And Jesus had dinner with him. So no, Jesus is not going to take Sirach's advice throughout the Gospels. But you know what? When push comes to shove, I'd bet that most of us in this room still basically act like Sirach. Think about it. When was the last time you ate a meal with someone from a different culture, 
a different religion, a different socioeconomic level? When was the last time we did those things? I think that we need to come face to face with the radical hospitality that our master Jesus showed for us. Because it was unlike anything else. And here's what the gospels teach us. They show us that Jesus and the earliest Christians practiced what I want to call rebellious hospitality. It was rebellious hospitality. And I thought about what word to use there. I could have said radical again. But, you know, radical isn't quite what I want to say. Radical just means like an extreme amount of something. Now, Jesus didn't take the, the hospitality practices of his day and just do a lot of it. He completely turned it on its head. Jesus used the table to launch a rebellion. I say that because it was a way that they waged war. The table was a tool in a war against social barriers and the powers of darkness that separated people from one another and from God that enslaved people. And right from the beginning, Jesus starts using the table to fight this battle. And we see it from the first meal that's recorded in the book of Luke. Levi, whom you just heard about, was a tax collector. So he, that means he had been hired by the Roman Empire. Now, Levi was a Jew, and he lived among other Jews, but their little corner of the world had been occupied by Rome for some time at this point. There had been a few rebellions and uprisings against, uh, against the Roman Empire, and some of them more successful than others. But by this point, Rome was firmly in control of their land. And so what they would do is they would go in and they would recruit people from within the communities to be tax collectors. And their job was to take the taxes from their countrymen, and if they wanted, they could take extra for themselves. And that's how they made their wealth. And so needless to say, nobody liked tax collectors. They were seen as traitors. And that's what Levi probably was. Now, it seems that Levi was good at what he did because when Jesus comes to him, Levi throws, quote, a great banquet that attracted, quote, a large crowd. In other words, he had some resources to draw on, which suggests that Levi was very good at ripping off his countrymen. Now, in the middle of this banquet, religious leaders come to Jesus and his followers, and they ask what, when you think about it, might be kind of a reasonable question when you understand just how hated tax collectors were. They say, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sects complain to his disciples, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you associate? Do you understand how much harm these people do to our community? And here you are just eating and drinking with them like it's nothing. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want us to notice a couple things about this exchange. First, I want to notice the areas where Jesus and the Pharisees agree. There's some significant overlap here. Number one, they agree that sharing a meal with, with someone was a, a strong form of welcome. If sharing a meal with somebody was no big deal, then they wouldn't have had a problem with what Jesus was doing. But they had a big problem with what Jesus was doing. Why? Because they understood that dining with somebody was a symbol. It was a symbol of acceptance and welcome and love and community. And that was just a step too far for the Pharisees. Jesus agrees that having a meal with somebody was a sign of welcome. And so that's one area where they agree. The second area is this. The people Jesus was eating with had sin, 
that needed to be dealt with. They agree on this. Now, the Pharisees saw them as sinners. That's obvious. They call them sinners. But I think we should also notice Jesus' response. Jesus does not airbrush over their sin. He doesn't shrug it off. He doesn't say, ah, I mean, we're all sinners. Who are we to judge? He doesn't do that. Like, he understands, no, what they're doing is, prob- is a, there's a problem here. The way that, like, Levi, what he does is not okay. I think Jesus would agree with that statement. He does not diminish the reality of destructive behaviors, of things that go against God's heart. He agrees with the Pharisees. These people are sinners. In fact, his analogy might even push it farther. He he compares them to sick people. He says that they're sick and they need a doctor. But he says, and he says that he has come to call sinners to repentance. So Jesus doesn't just shrug his shoulders and ignore it. He sees the sin as a real problem, but here's the thing. Jesus doesn't seem to disagree with the Pharisees about the diagnosis. He disagrees with them about the cure. Jesus' solution is never to ignore sin, but to heal it through his presence. This is a big reason why so much Christianity today could be categorized as like mediocre. It's because it's become more or less a religion of sin management where we kind of sort of try to do a little bit better than before and all that stuff. But we got to understand Jesus didn't come so that we can just kind of, you know, slog through our sinful lives. He came that we can have victory, that we can be healed, that we are sick, but we can be healed. And he's the doctor. Jesus does not ignore sin, but he heals it through his presence. And this teaches us something about Jesus' table rebellion. The battle that Jesus is raging with bread and olives and wine, is not against people. The enemy was not the Pharisees. It was not the tax collectors or the sinners. It is a rebellion against the powers of darkness that wanted to keep Levi and his friends from God. And listen, one of Jesus' main weapons in that war was hospitality. One of his main weapons in that war was a table. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus kicks off his public ministry by reading a scroll from the book of Isaiah in a synagogue. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he says. Now, New Testament scholar Joshua Jip, he looks at that last line, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he notices something. The Greek word for the word favor. It's used elsewhere in the book of Luke, but it's shortly after this moment. It's usually translated a little different. Instead of favor, it's usually translated welcome or acceptance or something along those lines. And the root word there for the word favor is actually a Greek word, the Greek root that is often associated with hospitality. And so Joshua Jip, here's what he does. He does, he's got a whole book on this, but he talks about how he thinks a better translation of that line, the year of the Lord's favor, might be to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. That's what Jesus is doing. When he launches his ministry, he's like, I'm here to proclaim God's welcome to people. Like, what if we started to realize that God's primary posture towards us is one of welcome? That that's his heart towards us. It's, it's welcome. What's it like when you go to your grandma's house? It's just, I don't know about you. I just went to my grandma's house not long ago. And I mean, she's in her 90s, but it's still like she's waiting at the door for me, you know? 
Like it's just this overwhelming welcome. I'm so glad you're here at my house. What if that became our posture as a church? What if Christians had this posture towards the world? One of welcome. It would be to rebel against the narrative that says you can't associate with the other. The other is basically wrong. That, that, that ideological safety is my first priority. Instead, it would mean that there is nothing to fear. Indifference. And that I shouldn't be afraid of associating with the wrong crowd. In fact, maybe I should be afraid of not associating with them because my Savior, my Master, Jesus, certainly seemed to do, to do it a lot. Joshua Jip writes about the church's calling to what he says. He says, our calling to embrace stigma. I think that's such a powerful phrase. The church is called to embrace stigma. Stigma is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. It's a mark of disgrace. He says, guess what? That's what you sign up for as Christians. People are going to think wrongly of you. That's the cost of loving people. That's the cost of being welcoming to people. Here's what he says. He says, many of our churches need to reject their obsession with the so-called normal with safety and exclusive boundaries that are privileged over the consistent witness that the church is a stigmatized community. In other words, in simple language, we gotta stop trying to save our reputation all the time. And when I read the story of Levi, it looks to me like Jesus is just disregarding social convention, he's embracing stigma, he's confusing people because of this, all to proclaim the Lord's welcome. This is hard, hard stuff for us to really live out. I mean, we can sit here and hear this and say, that's awesome, yeah, Jesus really gave us a cool example. And then go back and live like Sirach told us to. I do it too. And this is why as a church, we're constantly trying to push ourselves to be better at welcoming. This is one of the reasons we're doing Immigrant Connection, right? Because we wanna be a church that welcomes people that often receive the worst welcome. Refugees and immigrants in our, in our communities and our cultures have a really difficult time just maintaining legal status. And so hopefully soon we're going to have an office open where we can offer legal services to people in that situation. Why? Because we're table church. Because we're a church that wants to offer rebellious hospitality to the world. I'll never forget when I first moved, uh, started my first pastorate uh, back when I was a young pup, 22 years old, Pastor Phil. Can you imagine? And, uh, and there was another older couple at our church on staff, another pastor, and they just welcomed us in and uh, had us over for dinner all the time. Uh, his, his wife actually mentored Natalie and like a couple other young ladies taught him how to cook really well. And now my wife's this incredible cook. It's awesome. Like they just opened their home and their hearts to us and it totally changed our lives. And I bet you have a story of somebody like that as well in your life who just brought you in when you needed it most. Jesus showed us a rebellious kind of hospitality, but it took a while for his followers to understand what was going on here. Like, they got it. Like, the early church, the first 300 years of the church really did, did live this out in some phenomenal ways that we're going to hear about in this series. Uh, but it took a minute. His followers were a little confused. They had to be deprogrammed from Sirach before they could, like, reprogram with Jesus, you know? And in fact, here's one funny moment in the Gospels in Luke. I'll read it in the message translation. It says, they came to a Samaritan village to make arrangements for his hospitality. 
trying to find a place for Jesus to stay. But when the Samaritans learned that his destination was Jerusalem, they refused hospitality. So the Samaritans, they don't like Jews. They learned Jesus is a Jew. He's going to Jerusalem. Nope, you can't stay with us, they said. When the disciples James and John learned of it, they said, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? Whoa, throttle back, James and John. Jesus turned on them. Of course not. <laughs> and they traveled on to another village. They weren't getting the, the, their job is to proclaim the welcome of God yet, are they? Like, they're not doing that very good. The thing we learn here is that the world was every bit as divided back then as it is now. It was every bit as difficult to live this out then as it is now. We talk a lot today about how divided our culture is. And it is, right? But that's nothing new. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And Jesus, like, it's crazy. You look on a map of Jesus' journeys throughout Palestine and Israel. And he would at times deliberately go through Samaria when he could have gone another way, in fact, most people go another way, and he's like, nah, I'm going here. The people that hate my people, I'm going to their land. At great risk, as you can see, sometimes it didn't pay off. They didn't give him anywhere to stay. But he says, who cares? My job here is to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. And in order to do that, I gotta break some barriers. What we find in Jesus, we find it in the Apostle Paul, all through the New Testament, is that you can stand firm in your convictions and live a life of tremendous welcome. You can do both of those things. They are not, they are not mutually exclusive. They go together. In fact, the Bible goes further. Not only can you live out your convictions while embracing people in the Lord's kind of welcome, but that is the only kind of life that is consistent with the gospel. Ancient Christians saw hospitality as, as so central to the gospel that they would take in the homeless, they would rescue abandoned babies, they would even sell themselves into slavery in order to ransom a brother who had been arrested. Modern institutions like hospitals, hospices, and hostels all stem and flow from the Christian world-changing tradition of hospitality. The sick were often sent out beyond the walls of the city to fend for themselves, and the Christians said, no, that, that's not good enough for us. They started taking care of sick. They started building places for them to go. They started tending to them. It was a revolution. It changed the world. But the irony about it is that the result of building places like hospitals and homeless shelters is that now, today, we can outsource our hospitality to professionals. And for us now, hospitality is no longer doing that kind of thing. Hospitality is like, you know, vacuuming your house and then having your friends over. Like, that's hospitality for us now. We got, so we got some deep programming to do as well. Christian hospitality is so much more than that. It's, it's literally welcoming in the people who need it most. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but we need, we gotta, we gotta expand our understanding of hospitality. And there's actually, you can go through history and actually see where the meaning of the word was changed and whittled down and truncated down to what we have now, this kind of little, tiny little category of, you know, hanging out with friends. Oh man, it's so much more. The Christian tradition of hospitality is so enormous and so much has happened in the world. Like our world would not be anywhere near the same if it hadn't been for that. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're for hospitals and universities and homeless shelters, you can thank the Christian tradition of hospitality for that. 
Like that's where it came from. And so we need to find ways to reclaim hospitality, that kind of hospitality that tears down social barriers, invites people to experience the welcome of God. The book of Hebrews puts it rather straightforward. It just says, show hospitality, period. The word, the Greek word, phylloxenia, phylloxenia, love of strangers, show love of strangers, it says. Here's my point today. It's time to reclaim rebellious hospitality. It's time to reclaim the kind of life that proclaims the welcome of God to all people. And I got a few ways we can do that. The first way we can do is to embrace stigma. Embrace stigma. Remember what that word means? It means disgrace. What if we started saying, who cares? I'm just going to follow Jesus and do what he told me to do. This is what Jesus did. I'm going to embrace stigma today. That's hard to do, though. Some of you go to a school, you go to work, whatever, and, and you are in a space that we might call rather, well, we've used the phrase, ideologically contested. And maybe you are expected to um, abide by a narrative that goes against your faith. And that's a tricky place to be in. And I hope that you can follow Jesus in finding creative ways to hold conviction and welcome as one. Because Jesus did it perfectly. And yet so often we think that you only get one or the other. And Jesus says, no, nah, there's a third way. Either you gotta be against or you gotta be, you know, you gotta buy everything hook, line, and sinker. No, there's another way to do it and Jesus shows us how to do it. It's through radical hospitality. It's through proclaiming the Lord's welcome. Listen, if our posture toward others isn't a posture of welcome, we're doing it wrong. We're not following Jesus anymore. And when Jesus ate with Levi, he knew full well what people would say and think, but that didn't matter because in the end, hospitality won. Levi followed Jesus. Now, there's something about Levi I didn't tell you earlier. Many scholars think that Levi is actually, he has another name. We don't know if it's just like a nickname or if this is his Hebrew name or what, but that Levi is actually Matthew, the disciple, the author of the first gospel. This tax collector who Jesus wasn't even supposed to talk to would actually go on to become the author of the book of Matthew. How about that? And it shows us the power of hospitality to change a life. Apparently, Levi got the message at some point. Don't underestimate the power of hospitality to change a heart. I think that this, is, this, this needs to become, we need to reclaim this as our evangelism strategy, you know? Like gathering around tables with people that don't know Jesus. Not in order to, you know, feed them a line or pitch them something, but to simply love them and to show them God's welcome. The second thing we can do, reject culture wars, embrace culture welcome. Embrace culture, or reject culture wars and embrace culture welcome. Look, we gotta wise up to the ways that we are pawns in a money game of, that profits off of outrage and division, and we just gotta say, we're not gonna play anymore. We're not gonna play anymore. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and we have one Lord, and his name is Jesus, and uh, so he's the one that we follow, and we're not gonna play that game anymore. Listen, if you can't help but just always demonize the other side, whatever that side is, I've got bad news. Some of them are gonna probably be in heaven with you. You're gonna have to deal with them forever. 
All right, just, we, gotta, we gotta figure out ways to deal with it here. You don't have a, a monopoly on truth. I'm sorry, you don't have a, a monopoly on truth. And the new creation is gonna include people who look different, act different, think different than you do. And if you can't handle that, God's new creation is gonna be really miserable. And I'm not telling you, again, I'm not telling you you gotta have squishy convictions, although I wonder sometimes if we do need to hold some of our convictions a little more loosely and then hold more tightly to others. Like the things that are the dogma of our faith, the things that are non-negotiables, the fact that Jesus came back from the dead, that kind of stuff, you know? Like we gotta hold on to that and let that shape our lives, but maybe there's some other things that we can hold a little more loosely, perhaps, just a thought. But this is something that seems obvious, but it's apparently hard for us to believe sometimes, and it's this. You probably aren't gonna bludgeon people into your position. They're rarely ever, you know, convinced by bludgeoning them with your position or with the truth. In fact, it usually has the opposite effect. This is why learning this is, is why for me, like international travel is so great because like when I go to Zambia and I, I experience hospitality there to, in a, just a different way. I mean, I go to a, to a home or something to visit somebody and it's like, they may not have much, but what they have, it's like, it's yours. It's my, you know, I, I, this tree log over here, this stump, this is, this is where the man of the house usually sits, but today he says, no, it's for you. You know, like, we may only have one chicken, but it's, we're eating it now. You know, like, they just will do everything in order to serve. You cannot outserve a Zambian. You just can't do it. And, and it changed me. I mean, I was just like, how come they're going to such lengths? It's like almost embarrassing. And you say, no, 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 please don't do it. And then they get sad because one of the ways that they gain honor is to honor you. What if we could show radical and rebellious hospitality like that? Where we got past just like, oh, you know, the table has to be perfect. And, you know, if I, if I burn it a little bit, then that's the end of the world. Like, what if it was so much more than that? And what if part of hospitality is actually exposing some of our vulnerabilities? What if, what if that actually builds community and actually helps people be welcomed more into our lives than making everything look perfect all the time? So embrace culture wars. I'm sorry, reject culture wars and embrace culture <laughs> welcome. This is one of those mornings where you might have to do the opposite of what I tell you. I lost my spot, but it's okay. We'll go on to the next one. The final one is start the rebellion. Reclaim Table Church, the name Table Church. Let's do it. Let's be Table Church. Gather at tables. Your neighbors, your coworkers, invite them in, welcome them in. Before COVID, our table groups actually had this cool practice, we'd always have a meal every time we met. Uh, and then COVID kind of messed things up. And honestly, I'm not sure if I want to go back to that. that I mean, that's just a lot <laughs> to like, we got like 20 people in our group when you include kids. Like, it's a lot of people. But I wonder if there's other ways that we can do it and maybe even do it better. So for example, some things that we're, we got coming up. You mark your calendars for May 28th. May 28th, we're going to have a church picnic at Greenwood Park and I'm looking at my phone right now to simply confirm that that is in fact the date of the picnic. Yes, May 28th. 
We're going to have a, uh, at noon, we're going to have a picnic at Greenwood Park uh, at the shelter there. Bring your own lunch. Come hang out. It's perfect because there's a park right nearby for the kids. Come hang out with your church family. Just mark it on your calendar so it's there. And people are like, oh, you're not supposed to plan stuff on Memorial Day weekend. I'm like, who cares? Just cancel your stuff and come to church. This is better. Uh, no, seriously, we'd love to have you there. But also, we're going to launch, we're going to try something. I'm going to... I'm going to push you a little bit here, especially if you're not really connected in any other way at Table Church right now. I want to, I want to challenge you with this. We're going to start dinner groups, dinner groups. Now, not to be confused with table groups, I know, a little tricky, dinner groups. Here's what dinner groups are. We're going to, if you sign up today on your card, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little more the rest, uh, throughout the series as well. But if you sign up on your card, we are going to pair you with two other households or units for a total of three households, and you will get together with them, and you will have me three meals. Each will take turns hosting the meal. And, uh, you know, you'll make the entree if you're hosting, and then everyone else will bring a side um, or a dessert or whatever. Now, here's the thing. We know that a lot of you are really good friends, a lot of you spend, like, do life together. Your table group is really tight, and that's wonderful. You're not going to be with those people. Like, Megan and I, we're going to be the mad scientists concocting a, like a, a potion of randomness for your lives, and you are going to be with somebody you probably don't know. At least that's, that, that's the goal. We're going to do our best at doing that. There might be a single dude with a retired couple and a family of 10. I don't know. Like, we don't have a family of 10 here. But there might, something like that might happen. And so, sign up for dinner groups, write, just write dinner groups or DG on your connection card, and we will get you plugged in. You'll hear from us, and we'll just kind of probably pick which household's going to host first, and then um, you guys will go about setting the dates for the other two meals. So, I'd encourage you to do one meal a month. We're going to provide conversation starters for you, some ways to kind of get to know each other. Now, I can hear the objections in your minds already. You're thinking, oh, my house isn't very kid-friendly. Oh, my apartment's too small. Oh, I'm just not a very good cook. I don't know what I would make, things like that. So there are ways around all of those things. First of all, if your apartment's too small or something like that, use the ministry center. That's why we bought it. We would love for our church to be connecting over a meal in our ministry center. Yes, thank you very much. So use the ministry center. If you're not a very good cook, it's okay. Everyone chip in and order pizza. Your contribution is that you go pick up the pizza, you know? Like that can be what you do. Um, may, may, if your house isn't very kid-friendly, again, you can use the ministry center if that's what you need to do. But those objections that I just listed, those are some of the things that like make it all the more reason why we should do it. Because again, we're exposing ourselves a little bit. Part of hospitality is exposing your vulnerabilities, you know? Saying like, look, guys, I'm not a very good cook. Is it cool if we just order pizza? Like that takes a lot. The, if it, there might be legitimate reasons not to do it, but pride is not one of them, right? And if you need to connect, if you haven't connected in your, I've, I hear it from people a lot. I'd really love to connect with some other people in our congregation. Here you go, you know? This is a chance to do it. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited for the, for the relationships and the stories that, that come out of it. And I also know, like, maybe your schedule's crazy. Maybe your table group decides to take a little break for the summer while the dinner groups happen or something like that. There's all sorts of things that you can do in order to make it more manageable. But I hope that you guys will consider it. This is just step one 
of rebellious hospitality. This is safe. This is people in your church, you know? Like, this isn't your next door neighbor who's kind of weird. Like, I'm not asking you, I mean, yes, go invite them over for dinner tonight. That'd be awesome. But this isn't even that. This is just folks in your church. And so it's just a chance for us to take one step into saying, how can I expand my horizons of hospitality a little bit with some people that I want to get to know more? So let's embody this as a church and see what God does with it. There's one more thing that Jesus shows us at the table. He shows us that, that we are welcome to dine with him. Not just Levi and his friends, but the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said to his disciples, I eagerly desire to share a meal with you. And that night he got a towel and a basin and he wrapped the towel around his waist and he knelt down and he started to wash his disciples' feet and they're like, oh, what are you doing, Jesus? Disgusting, I don't, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I have to. If I don't wash your feet, he says to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. This is who I am. And he wants to do it for you too. And so that night Jesus gave us a meal. And he says, whenever you come to this meal, you can remember this moment, and you can remember what I did for you. And so we're gonna take communion together today. And as we do it, just remember the radical, generous, and rebellious hospitality that Jesus shows us in this story. He did it for you too. Today we are all Levi, and we are invited to the table of the Lord. And so we have gluten-free bread, and then there's a cup, and as the band plays this song, uh, you can just come, spend a few moments with the Lord. In fact, Jay's just gonna finger pick for a moment before we sing. Spend some time with the Lord and say, God, is there any unrighteous way in me? Would you show me? Do some business with God before you come to his table. But maybe the thing you need to do is to say, God, will you help me to actually believe that I am welcomed at this table? And he'll do it. He'll do it. Um, we practice what's called open communion. You don't have to be a member of Table Church. Some places do that. We don't. You don't have to be a member of Table Church to come and, and experience this. And we also believe that this is a means of grace. And so this is a holy, a sacred thing um, that, that God can access your heart through this moment in ways that are different than other things in our lives. This is special. Jesus set this meal aside for us and Christians have been doing it across the globe and across the centuries. There's a lot of stuff that Christians disagree on. This is not one of them. We take communion. We come to the Lord's table. And so as you do it, just prepare your hearts and would you allow me to pray over you before we do that. Lord God, I ask that right now your spirit would fall fresh upon us, upon this church and these people. Lord, that they would as we prepare to go out and extend your welcome to others, that we would first experience it for ourselves firsthand, that we would encounter you and your heart and your love for us, and to know that you have called us here, and that you want us here, that you're so excited that we're here, and that your posture towards us is one of welcome. And may that flow from us to the rest of the world. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.